Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Fasting. It's one of the best biohacks because there are so many benefits to your body and it doesn't even cost anything. Fasting can help you live longer, increase your brain power, and even turn back your biological age because it induces something called autophagy. Autophagy swaps out old or damaged parts of your cells with fresh new ones. There is now an awesome product called Spermidine Life that actually tricks your body into thinking it's fasting, which triggers autophagy without any actual fasting required. Spermidine Life is extracted from non-GMO plants and it's super clean. Fast smarter, not harder. Add Spermidine Life to your stack today, whether or not you practice intermittent fasting. Go to spermidinelife.us, use code ASPRI25 for 25% off your first purchase. If your everyday routine looks like mine used to, it includes some bloating and gas, trouble losing weight, digestive issues, and probably microbial imbalances. When I learned that my gut microbiome was directly linked to all that stuff going on, I knew I had to do something, but it was hard to know what to do. And that's how I found out about Viome and the Viome Full Body Intelligence Test. Viome stands out because it uses gene expression analysis, which is RNA, instead of DNA to figure out what my body needs. They even use information they learn about you to create 100% custom formulated supplements and personalized probiotics just for you. Viome gave me the information I needed to really upgrade my health. I've known the team at Viome for almost 10 years and worked with them on their recommendations. It's real science. Now, you can give it a try, too. Go to viome.com slash Dave and save $110 on the full body intelligence test. Today's cool fact of the day is that the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is known as the master clock for controlling our 24-hour circadian rhythm, is actually in your brain, as you'd expect. It's a wing-shaped part of the brain, and it controls the production of melatonin, which comes out of your pineal gland. And melatonin is famous for putting you to sleep, but did you know melatonin also lowers your risk of cancer, and it also helps you detox a few things in your body? This is not well known, but melatonin is pretty important biologically, not just for sleep. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's guest on the show is a physician, a researcher, and a teacher in light medicine and photobiology, which is why I was just talking about melatonin. He's particularly interested in how light affects our brains and our bodies, and he looks at solar radiation and artificial light sources and what they do to our hormones. That's particularly interesting because I've been saying for years that fluorescent lights in offices are actually bad for us, and here's a guy who's been researching that and can shed some light on the subject. His name is Alexander Wunsch, and he's coming live on Bulletproof Radio from Germany. Alexander, welcome to the show. Welcome, Dave. Good to hear you. 
how did you get into looking at what light does to the body? This is a pretty esoteric field, uh, but you're working with uh, as a consultant to federal authorities in the lighting industry, like you've become somewhat of an expert in this. How does one become an expert in photobiology? So it, it, it was a kind of weird way because it started with a kind of esoteric um, aspect of photobiology. I started with the Dinsha spectrochrome system. Um, I was, after my studies of medicine, I was quite disappointed because everything spins around uh, pharmaceutical stuff. And I was looking for some um, physiological means to influence the body in a quite natural way and I since I don't like uh, hard chemistry so much I mm, stumbled over the spectrochrome system. What is the spectrochrome system? What does the, it do? The spectrochrome system is a, a color therapy or chromotherapy system invented or established by Dinsha Gadiali who um, <coughs> Yeah, you can. If you look it up on the web, you will find out that that some people think that that he's um, uh, fraudulent. He was a fraudulent guy, but um, I didn't care about these things. I looked into his system, and um, the great thing in his um, chromotherapy system is that he made a blend of Newton's um, spectrum, rainbow spectrum, on one hand. And Goethe's uh, spectrum, the more psychological spectrum, on the other hand, and he blended these two systems together to a quite amazing uh, color circle consisting of 12 different uh, colors, which are very useful to um, control um, physiological reactions. For example, uh, via the retinothalamical, hypothalamical tractus, you already mentioned the inner clock, the body clock, uh, melatonin, the pituitary gland uh, is the um, counter actor of the, of the pineal gland. And um, using these colors, and I was quite, the first experience I had was with a skin burn and it, it just healed up um, like that. It just took less than, than two weeks <clears throat> and it was a two to third degree skin burn. And I didn't see this uh, during my studies at the university before. And um, Dinsha's idea was to... He, he was talking about different kinds of proof levels. And um, the highest level of proof you can get is the direct proof. And this means if you make, make an experience, um, if you experience a method, in the end you become an expert one who did the experience. And I just tried it, and this is the, the big advantage with the, with the chromotherapy, that it's harmless on one hand, uh, on the other hand it's quite effective, and you can test it, and you can try it on your own. And uh, this is how I got into chromotherapy, and it just fit in, into my picture of the, of the scientific world quite uh, perfectly well because it was consistent with my um, physicist's view on one hand on, and with the physician's view on the other hand. And this is how I got into photobiology um, in the first go. It, it's, I believe it to be the case that light is a drug. 
And some light has very little impact on the body, but some has a lot. And I've also used different colors of light, monochromatic colors sometimes, which means just a single wavelength in order to change healing levels, to actually get into the brain, to change mitochondrial function. And you said something though, that a lot of people say that this work is, is fraudulent based. Where did the, the idea that, that using colored light on humans is fraud, where did that originate? And, uh, and you know, how do you respond to those types of, of claims? I think the, the um, root or the, the first um, encounter humans had with colors is, is uh, pretty long time ago. Um, when we when we think about our um, ancestors, our um, yeah the, the monkeys, for example, they um, learned about 20, uh, 23 million years ago to um, to handle the the color codes before there, there was the pheromone system for social interaction, and um, you can tell from analysis from the from the genes of, of monkeys that about 23 million years ago it changed from pheromone signaling to color signaling so colors um, are um, the a kind of universal code which, which is valid throughout our earthly universe because everywhere you have colors for example what's quite amazing that the, the wavelengths of the colors of the rainbow uh, pretty much um, are in, in coherence or um, with the smallest um, organelles in our cells. So, for example, mitochondria, they have a size between 500 nanometers uh, and 2000 nanometers and other um, cell organs um, have different sizes which um, which can be linked to directly linked to the dimensions of the wavelengths of the different colors and so in german in the as a german word farbe means color and um, it means character of of uh, of a thing character um, of an organism character of of a plant and so this it's, it describes pretty good what color really means. It's a universal code, and the colors tell our um, metabolical system, for example, tell our um, vegetative system how to attune the, the ratio between sympathetic and parasympathetic activity, for example. Okay. What about the effect of light on our hormones. There's something you've called vitamin D, a chronobiological stress hormone. What does that mean? How do you view light and vitamin D in the body? Um, vitamin D is a, is, is a kind of chemical signal for the inner cells in our system because only the, the eye connects us to, to the outer um, visual environment and uh, non-visual environment, radiation environment, so to say. And the skin is pretty much connected to our uh, radiation environment as well, even better than the eye, by the way. Um, 
But how to tell all the inner cells? You cannot connect each and every cell with little nerve fibers to the brain, to the brain stem, for example, or to the midbrain in order to control their activity. You, you have to, to use, or the, our body, our organism has to use uh, different kinds of um, information trans, transmit, transmission. So one way to inform cells is uh, a nerve signal, of course, but the other way is to use hormones. And um, it, vitamin D is a very old uh, molecule which can be found in, in very early plants, even in some bacteria. And the task is to signal uh, to the cell uh, in a chemical way that there is ultraviolet radiation outside. And as always in nature or in evolution, um, if, if we are surrounded by a potentially bad thing, uh, evolution tries to make the best out of it and tries to compensate for the negative aspects uh, by using other um, aspects of this molecule. And so the organisms learned um, to decode the chemical signal for UV in the environment in a proper way to, to have a better living and to survive. What do you think about ultraviolet B and ultraviolet A and the different spectrums of non-visible light? Are those important for this hormone signaling mechanism that you work with? Just think about UVB, um, which is the, the um, sharpest uh, radiation we get here on ground Earth. Um, and this, this UVB has the highest uh, biological impact in a way that, for example, uh, think about a skin burn, uh, think about a sunburn. You get the sunburn in nature only from UVB. And what is the consequence um, if humans are exposed to UVB-containing radiation? Is that uh, a severe sunburn would, would be a, a kind of hazard. And in order to, to prevent this hazard, it's a good idea um, for the cells in the body, for the organs in the body, to know about this environmental uh, factor. And you ask me if I think if it's a good or bad. Um, I don't think that nature works like that. Um, we have good aspects, we have bad aspects, and it's our brain, it's our intelligence, which, which turns it uh, in a way that we can, um, we can suck the honey from the things and avoid the bad aspects. How important is it that we receive full-spectrum sunlight versus, say, being behind a window or using uh, other kinds of lighting? Since, since there is signaling, we have, we have uh, photochemical signaling throughout the whole spectrum. We have, for example, for the for UVB part, there's the vitamin D. For the uh, UVA part, we have nitric oxide, for example. But uh, there are other kinds of uh, biochemical signaling going on in the blood, in the bloodstream, under the influence of UVA light. And I think for our body, the, the, for, for this complicated uh, metabolism, when you just look at a single cell, we are not able to, uh, 
um, to understand what really goes on there. But when we think about billions of cells like we have in, in our body, um, you have to attune everything. And um, the ratio between the UVB and the, ratio, and the UVA and the visible light and the near-infrared and even the longer wavelengths, the infrared B and C, for example, everything has uh, its purpose in terms of uh, attuning our body to the, that it perfectly matches the, um, the environment, the actual environment we are in. Okay. And um, talking about other kinds of light sources, um, as humans we think we can do everything better than nature. And um, for example, the physicist, he thinks that um, the heat rays um, emitted by an incandescent lamp are unnecessary. And in fact, for pure vision, um, ad hoc vision, it's not really necessary. Um, but it will have consequences if you remove parts of the spectrum because we are, mm, our body is attuned to the full spectrum of sunlight on one hand and thermal light sources on the other hand. What are thermal light sources? We, we talk about fire, we, we talk about torches, we talk about candlelight, we talk about incandescent lamps. And all these thermal light sources prove to you that we are or that you are um, fully adapted to, to the properties because talking about color rendering, for example, um, the color rendering index um, is nearly 100 for sunlight, it's nearly 100 for incandescent lamp light, it's nearly 100 for even a candlelight. And so um, you can tell from, from this fact that we are through the whole spectrum of possible color temperatures, we are fully adapted as long as we are talking about thermal light. What you're saying is that we should be able to feel light as, in addition to be able to see light. And if you just see it but you don't feel it, that your body has a sense of unease? We, as long as we focus uh, only on our eyes, then we limit ourselves uh, in a <clears throat> probably detrimental way because um, our skin is a much better sensory organ for the broader spectrum of light. Our skin um, exhibits very specific reactions to UVB, for example. You, you experience an erythema, you experience a sunburn. Our skin increases the, the um, circulation, blood circulation, under the influence of UVA light uh, mediated uh, via the nitric oxide, for example. Our skin senses even the infrared B and C part in order to give you kind of sensory signal that uh, you might be overdosing the light. So we, we, our skin is able to, to detect the full spectrum. And if we make our rules only uh, for the eye, then we become fooled by, by the light sources, we are by these artificial light sources which, made, which are made solely for the eyes. And this is the fact when we talk about fluorescent lamps, for example, when you talk about um, LED light for general lighting purposes, because 
these are the light surrogates. They are restric restricted in their spectrum in order to, to save kind of energy in short term, but it will probably make us quite sick in the long term view. There's, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that there is a great risk um, coming to our societies if we totally switch over to the non-thermal light sources. At the moment it's the LED. Um, there is a higher what, risk. Yeah. What kind of risks? I, by the way, I agree with you. What are the risks that you've, uh, you've identified? You talked about the circadian uh, rhythm and the, the controlling system. We have some, some uh, ganglion cells in our retina which uh, transmit a signal to the midbrain and um, tell the pituitary and the pineal gland what to do. And pituitary and pineal gland are antagonistic uh, parts of a system. And if we, for example, if we have daylight conditions during the nighttime, then this um, is a detrimental influence because it stops or at least it hinders our regeneration during the night. For example, melatonin takes care that our body temperature lowers, goes down during nighttime. Lower um, mitochondrial activity, for example, means that you that your cells will store up fresh energy in order to have enough energy available during the next day. And if you shut, if you cut down the regeneration phases um, by using the wrong light with the too high, too high color temperature, for example, during the nighttime, um, you cut down your your regeneration in the in the whole system, beginning from your cardiovascular system, ending in your retina, for example, and this um, opens the door for the development of degenerative uh, diseases. And so, this is the problem okay. we have. So, so bright light at night is associated with cancer and degenerative diseases. But what about if, if I still have darkness at night, but during the day I'm under cold LED lights that don't have any thermal source? What is that mismatch between the heat and the light? What's that going to do to me? Um, when, when we look at the um, spectral distribution of natural light sources, then we have um, kind of um, we have a part in the spectrum which is the near infrared or the infrared A. Um, it, it is not detectable um, with our eyes, it's invisible, and we cannot feel it with our skin sensors because it distributes evenly in, in the in the whole tissue and it only activates quite uh, in a quite subtle action um, mitochondria for example and I don't think that people are able to feel if their mitochondria are stimulated via near-infrared but we can prove it, we can prove it in the petri dish, we can prove it with um, with animals for example, we can even prove it um, in therapy when we experience uh, faster wound healing. Yeah, I was, uh, I was in a, a sauna last night that has near and far and mid-spectrum infrared in it. Uh, and it does have a biological effect. It's hard to argue that it doesn't. It, it does uh, something to you, of course. Um, yeah. But it does something to you because it's, it comes uh, in company with, 
with the um, infrared B and the longer infrared wavelengths, so you feel the, the heat um, and this will give you some reflex uh, reactions um, if you have the heat which can be detected um, on the skin then it automatically will influence your blood circulation for example it would change the distribution of blood between muscles and skin and so on but if you take the pure infrared um, a the pure near infrared it's it's a indirect um, action it's a long-term mid-term and long-term action but normally it's something you don't feel immediately but um, when you look at the spectral distribution of sunlight and thermal light sources the majority of the radiation energy is located in the near-infrared and the near-infrared has one very important property it varies uh, very subtly in a very subtle manner um, activates the water molecules and mm -hmm. it's like it's like stirring uh, if, if you have uh, a rock um, sugar and you put it in cold water it will take very long time to dissolve if you start stirring or if you have warm water it will dissolve quite uh, swiftly and so you can imagine this is what the near-infrared does um, not only in our skin, it helps uh, kind of, I, I call this um, stimulated uh, diffusion for example, it's light stimulated diffusion processes which are activated by the near-infrared um, radiation and uh, think about the, the conditions um, we find in our retina the place where we see the colors, the place where we have sharpest vision is the so-called macula lutea. Um, it's a yellow spot in the middle of the retina which gives us, um, let's say, 95% of, of, of the pictures um, we, we have throughout the day. Everything you're focusing will be focused directly into the retina, into the macula lutea, the, the dot or, or spot of sharpest vision. And the interesting fact is that the distance between capillary vessels which are necessary to nourish um, the, the energy-hungry photoreceptors in, in your retina, um, they have the largest distance uh, ever found in the body. No other organ has uh, or exhibits such a, a large distance between the capillary vessels which bring nourishing uh, substances and which um, take away the, the trash. Um, the distance is so large that it doesn't work just by um, diffusion. It is kind of reinforced diffusion which is necessary to um, to take care and to caress in a way your retina so that it can ah. work uh, over uh, the decades. Th this, is this is important. You're saying that near infrared or infrared A is required to exactly. let the eye exactly. do its detoxification yes. processes. 
And uh, I'm I'm 100%, 180% convinced that nature was only able to to construct such such a delicate structure like our like the human eye was only able to construct this because there was only uh, thermal light around during the longest time of of evolution and of the of the development of our of our uh, ocular system. So in your house then, you must have, do you have halogen lights? Do you have incandescent lights? Like, like what, what is the best indoor light? The best indoor light, in my opinion, is a low voltage um, halogen light, which is driven with yeah. DC or direct current transformers. So you have a very low or zero level of uh, electromagnetic um, dirt, Dirty electricity comes from mm -hmm. from uh, alternating current um, systems, and the direct current systems they have no electrosmog, so to say, no dirty electricity on one hand. And what light light is the the photons they travel at the speed of light, so they are very swift and very fast on their way. And uh, the consequences well, don't. don't don't LED lights also travel? I thought all light would travel the same way. They, the, the, yeah, but they are modulated. The the light coming from LEDs, um, it's if I don't say that it's impossible to to build um, a good lighting scene based on LEDs, but um, no one can can um, afford it. It's um, at the moment <laughs> it's way too expensive. Uh, because you would have to fill up all the gaps you find in a in an LED light source um, with other LEDs, which give you this part which is missing in one LED has to be produced by the other. Uh, this is one aspect, and the other aspect is that um, there is a good tradition of bad lighting, of selling bad light uh, since many decades, which means. Um, you, for example, flicker is is one thing is one quality yeah. parameter um, of light. Does light flicker or does it not flicker? Is it a steady stream of light or does it flicker? And the problem that light is traveling so fast, and especially in the LEDs, which are um, semiconductor light sources, you can transmit very, very high frequencies using uh, LED, LED light. It's used in telecommunications, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so modulation frequencies of megahertz is not a problem at all for an LED. But this means, on the other hand, um, that you have all the, the, the dirt from, from the transformers, from the ballasts, the dirt from the grid, the, the 60 hertz transforms into 120 hertz dirty electricity in most of the ballasts which are included into, um, in, into the retrofit uh, LED models you, you can purchase. So uh, the, the filament, the tungsten filament is quite lazy. It switches on and off in a very in a very cozy way, but uh, the LED switches on and off in a very harsh way. And this is what makes yeah. it much, 
more problematic. So if you uh, one one in Germany, I cannot tell how it is in in the U.S., but they switched over to LED backlights about ten years ago, and I always have a kind of stroboscopic effect when when I drive during the night behind uh, one of, of these cars with an LED backlight because yeah. they, they, were, they thought they were very clever um, in a way that they use only one LED for the normal light and for the brake light. So it's, they pulse the normal light uh, in a way that it uh, has a lower intensity and then they when you are braking, it becomes uh, brighter, so they change uh, the ratio between bright and dark faces. And this goes on a certain frequency, pulse width modulation frequency, and you didn't have to care about pulse width modulation and any frequency in cars before the age of LEDs, because you had direct current from the battery and you had incandescent lamps with a very lazy filament. So there was a steady light and nowadays they thought ah, let's take 250 Hertz this might be enough but for LEDs it's not enough because it's on off on off. So for, uh, for listeners what we're talking about is the idea that LED lights even if you can't see it that they blink and maybe you can see it or some part of your brain sees it. I, I've noticed when I'm under LEDs, especially older indoor LED lights, I get tired much more quickly. And I don't think I'm the only one. It's just like, wow, I'm, I'm not as, as energetic at the end of the day. It, it's very common. And they have new LEDs, though, that, that are now blinking 240 times a second instead of 120 times a second. And those are better. They're still not as good as incandescent lights for how I'm going to feel at the end of the day. But is there some number, like, do we need LEDs that blink you know, 2,000 times a second and then those are going to be better, even yeah. if they're missing the thermal side? Yeah, exactly. It, 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 very, it depends very much uh, on the conditions, of, on, on your habits of, of um, seeing the light. Uh, if you move your eyes very swiftly, then you can even see 1,500 hertz. And so the recommendation from a working group from the CIE is to have at least 2,000 hertz, which means 2,000 wow. times on and off. So you cannot see it directly anymore. You cannot see even if you move your eyes very swiftly. For example, it's not only the, you know that it's not only the light sources you have in terms of uh, general lighting uh, appliances around you. The way how the um, displays of computer monitors uh, are dimmed, it's exactly the same technology. It's the same uh, pulse width modulation and um, you, you should have, in my opinion, at, at least 10,000 Hertz to be on the safe side. 10,000 Hertz means 10,000 times on and off in a second. And um, some of the computer monitors um, are already there and others are not. And so each time you just go one step beyond the highest intensity of your computer screen, um, you get this kind of flashing light and the 
the the bad thing the odd thing is that it's on a subconscious level and it it's not per se on a subconscious level your brain has to eliminate these impulses yeah and this is what makes you tired in the at the end of the day and and i i may just be more sensitive than the average person or just more aware but i really uh, I, I notice a profound difference at the end of the day if the lights are subtly flickering, and I can see when they flicker. And is this because I have a weak brain, or is this because I'm more aware of light? I, I, do you have any thoughts about that? Are some people just more susceptible to that? Um, if if people start uh, learning about the property of flicker, they have the the opportunity to um, sensitize themselves, and. Okay. If it's just if it stays on the unconscious level, you, the, our body will adapt to mostly anything um, if if we are surrounded by it on a, a constant uh, level. This is the trickiest thing when you purchase a TV set or when you purchase your new computer. Um, when you take it home and you have it there on your uh, table desk, um, then you will accommodate to it, which does not mean that it's beneficial to you, but uh, it will be faded out from your awareness. And I think it's better to uh, train this awareness. For example, what happens when people have to work in front of a, a, a flickering um, computer? they develop kind of lazy eyes because when you move your eyes quite swiftly from left to right, left to right, left to right, we have muscles like that in our, in our head to move the eyes. And um, if we do so, we can, we can see the flicker. And yeah. um, if we move our eyes using our head and uh, have a staring view, then we reduce the stroboscopic effects. And this is what, what happens, that your neck becomes stiff because your, your neck muscles have to, to do the work normally, which would, have, which would be uh, taken over by the, the muscles in your eyes. But uh, unconsciously, you want to avoid the flicker, you want to avoid the stroboscopic effect, and so your body yeah. changes the behavior, changes, changes the pattern of, of movement. So you can look at the cheap LEDs that they sell for Christmas trees, and if you kind of turn your head side to side, you'll see the, the Christmas tree strobe. They didn't do that when they had little incandescent lights on the strings where, where if one bulb goes out, it doesn't work. This is the most apparent place that I learned to see the stroboscopic effect, but I find it's in indoor lighting all over the place, and it it does make you tired. But let's, in order to fit this into to the length of our podcast, I think everyone's interested what they could do in their house to use either color light or black and white. So I want to ask you if I'm doing something that you would agree with or not agree with, and then tell me what else I should do. Right, right now at night, I have red LEDs. And these are um, high flicker rate, so that you don't perceive a flicker or a stroboscopic. So after dark, I turn on the red LEDs. I can see everything, but I'm cutting out all the stuff that suppresses melatonin. And I use the, 
the Zentech screen protector that filters a small part of the blue spectrum out of my phone. So if I look at my phone, I dim the screen and I've got a screen protector to filter out blue. Is that enough? Should I be using green or yellow or some other colors at different times of day? Like walk me through how I should put color into my environment so that I'll perform better. Oh, this is a wide, this is a very wide field. And I think that that comfort uh, might be a little reduced when you just use the red light um, mm -hmm. because it takes it takes away all the all the color discrimination and it reduces the the full potential of information which is uh, encoded in the colors on the other hand um, I sometimes uh, I say you do harm to your eye you do harm to your system when the sun sets and you still see colors. Because um, we say in Germany, um, at night all the cats uh, appear grayish or are gray. And this is how it's meant to be normally. And uh, of course the, the red light is the most neutral light. But um, if you would like to add some, some comfort, uh, some vision um, mm -hmm. comfort, Maybe an amber light source would would be a better choice, but still I do amber I do amber sometimes. Uh, we have amber night lights that I even carry. but i I was looking at mitochondrial activation. So if you can see well enough in red, is red better, or really, I should have amber? like I, I'm really open to your thoughts. So during the night time, the mitochondrial activation is probably not the best thing because in a way it could okay. even counteract. Uh, what normally the melatonin does. Melatonin okay. uh, lowers the mitochondrial activity. Interesting. Um, in order to store up fresh energy, um, it's. Let, I would say it's it's all about you're comfortable with and you have access what what you have access to. For example, using yellow LEDs during nighttime, which do which do not flicker, um, you can be lucky and get the the good ones. There are uh, yellow LEDs with a quite broadband uh, spectral emission, which enables you to discriminate between green, uh, lemon, yellow, orange, and even red. Mm -hmm. And there are narrowband uh, yellow LEDs, which give you the same uh, impression you have from a, a low-pressure sodium street lamp that okay. all the colors disappear completely. Um, and I think um, when, when you just look at the conditions in nature, what colors do we have uh, during the nighttime or did we have during the nighttime? I think humans uh, and uh, the ancestors uh, of us, they used fire as an artificial light source since... Um, more than one million years. Uh, some even claim that, that uh, our ancestors had uh, fire since two million years already. And this is what we are adapted to. And this is the spectrum from... It, it's, it's it has an emphasis on the yellow, orange and red. And this is what uh, was the correct light for many, many um, thousands of years. So we can 
suppose that our body is uh, well adapted um, to this kind of um, light spectrum during the night. And um, this, this, I think, is very important that we ask ourselves what's going on during the day and what are the colors we uh, are surrounded by during the daytime and what are the colors we are surrounded with uh, during nighttime. And there is a reduced color spectrum during nighttime. It's a lower intensity during nighttime and the light does not come from above except from the moon. But this is a very uh, weak light source, so to say. So the direction of the light is always um, not unimportant, so to say. Okay. Um, the green, the, the 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 good thing with the colors is that if if you feel attracted by a certain color, go for it. And um, if you feel repelled by a certain color, um, and you still go for it, you might be able to make some um, remarkable experiences. Mm. But the, the color code, for example, what, when we talk about the bluish light of the LEDs of some so-called full-spectrum yeah. lamps, um, we mm. might think this is a correct color for the daytime. But when, when we look closer in, into this um, situation, we would have this bluish light when we are in the desert, for example. And um, I don't think that too many of our ancestors would um, have been eager to stand uh, fully exposed in the desert under, under the, uh, the 6,500 Kelvin uh, color temperature with the high intensity. So I think normally the, the normal reaction would be to, to seek for shading, for example, to, to stay under a roof or under an umbrella or under a tree. And so I don't even think that this standard of daylight, 6,500K, um, is really correct because it exposes us um, in a situation which is not normal, which would have been okay. avoided by intelligent people. And so if you look at the computer screens, um, which are delivered um, by standard with a color temperature of 6500K, I think uh, we, we should rethink uh, our standards in this regard. I, I've I've been calling on on Apple and and others to to reduce the color temperature because I, I think they're hurting people's sleep quality, uh, and that's why I put the, the the filter on mine to to help cut out some of the blue and I turn the intensity down for computers that can be uh, where the the temperature of the color can be changed. Is there a color temperature that you think is ideal? Because a lot of people could just tune that right now or they could run an app called Flux that will do it for them. I, I run my uh, Apple computer on the lowest uh, color temperature possible. It's the 4500K. Yeah. You, calibra you can calibrate uh, the screen. 
and it it depends on the visual task I have to perform um, on my computer because when I have to um, to to select pictures, uh, for example, when I do graphics works, um, graphics work, then then it's sometimes it's good to have uh, the highest color rendering possible, and you want to meet the expectation of of your um, customers, patients, whatever the the um, those who look at uh, the the content. And when they use the 6500K setting and um, I use the 2700K setting from Flux, mm -hmm. then this is a kind of mismatch probably. So it, it yeah. always depends on, on the um, situation in detail. But so, so probably 90% yeah. of people watching this never change the color temperature on their computer. And you and I both do the same thing. At night, or when you don't need super bright white, I turn my color temperature down, I turn the brightness down. But yeah, if I need to see what something's going to look like when it's printed or when it's broadcast, then I'm going to turn it up, but only while I need it. And this would be just a piece of advice for everyone listening. Learn how to control the brightness and the color temperature in your computer and just become aware of it. And don't shine a bright light into your eyes like that with lots of blue unless you need it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, learn how to do it and <clears throat> use it um, as often as you, as you can because uh, each time you um, go down with the color temperature, your eye will benefit um, by the way, it's uh, lowering the, the content of blue, which is the aggressive radiation in the spectrum, the blue, the indigo, the violet. Um, it's the aggressive part in the visible spectrum. And so, so what, is, what does blue light do to your eyes? I, I make, uh, in, in my, um, when I give a presentation, for example, or a workshop, I show people... I show the, the participants, um, I let them experience the characteristics of the ends of the spectrum. I have a red LED, which is pretty strong, and I have a violet LED, which is pretty strong. You would use it for checking the dollar bills if they are um, fakes or if they are the good ones. So um, when you normally you would expect that you feel warmth, with the red light and that you wouldn't feel anything with the violet light because this is normally cool on the water tap you have the red for the for the hot water and the blue for the cold water right so this mm -hmm. kind of this is kind of universal color code but when you when you shine the red light on the lip and the violet light on the lip then you will feel immediately on the from the violet light very intense, tickling, aggressive heat. And this is uh, the product, this comes from the production of so-called reactive oxygen species, which are wow. uh, derivatives from, from the oxygen molecule, and they are quite aggressive. They oxidize each and everything they can grasp in their environment. And this is what happens in the eye, in the place of sharpest vision, in the macula lutea, because the light, the blue light and the violet light will be focused uh, into a tiny little point, and there it 
creates uh, oxygen, reactive oxygen species, aggressive oxygen uh, atoms or molecules. So a, a slight reduction in the amount of blue light, especially artificial blue light that we're experiencing, would reduce oxidative stress in our bodies. Especially in the eye, but uh, on the skin as well, yes. Yes. Okay, and if you did that in your eye, less chance of macular degeneration later in life? Exactly. Um, nowadays, wow. um, the ophthalmologists know that the content of blue, especially after surgery, um, when you have a, your lens replaced in, in, uh, elder, in the elderly, for example, there is a, an elevated risk for developing uh, age-related macular degeneration. And the, we, we know the, the range in the, in the spectrum is between 400 nanometers, where we start seeing the violet light, up to even 550 nanometers still can uh, induce reactive oxygen species in the tissue. And, and that would include the visible color of, of blue light that comes off of LED lights and fluorescent lights? The problem with the LEDs, in fact, is that they are so-called, the most LEDs are fluorescent uh, light sources. They have a, a driver LED, a driver spectrum, which is fully located in the aggressive part of, of the rainbow spectrum. And the longer wavelengths, the less aggressive ones, they come from a transformation in the fluorescent phosphor uh, co um, covering which is um, added to this blue LED. But you, if, if you go for um, energy efficiency, you will never eliminate uh, the blue part, the driver spectrum in total. So you will still have high intensities, even if your eye seems to tell you that you deal with a quite warm light source. This is really important. And are there blue filters I can buy to put over my LEDs that are going to take out that blue spike, even if they, I get less you, light out you of You can take out the blue spike. For example, with, with uh, office glasses, with uh, some uh, sheets on your uh, tablet or smartphone. <laughs> but yeah. the, the problem is that <clears throat> under normal conditions, you will have a very small amount of uh, reactive oxygen species generation even in the red part of the spectrum and especially in the near-infrared part of the spectrum. And this uh. is the point. Um, we, we are talking about something which is called mitochondrial signaling. If there is energy production, ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is the, the, the energy currency in our body, and this is the, the product of the mitochondria. And in order to produce the adenosine triphosphate, the mitochondria have to burn oxygen. And about 5 to 10% of the oxygen burned in a mitochondrium um, ends up as a reactive oxygen species. So if you have an increased activity of the mitochondria, you also have increased concentrations of reactive oxygen species around the mitochondrium. And this, these, some of these uh, molecules travel to the uh, nucleus of the cell and tell the nucleus that there, is excessive, that there are excessive amounts of 
um, reactive oxygen species around. This is the first phase of the reaction. And the second phase of the reaction is that the nucleus um, orders the cell to produce antioxidants. So you have an increase in antioxidant uh, production mm -hmm. as a reaction upon the um, increased level of mitochondrially produced uh, reactive oxygen species. And the, the repair function coming from the long wavelengths is not triggered by LED light because it does not contain these wavelengths. Oh. So you have on Th one hand you have a higher okay. load in terms of reactive oxygen species generation and on the other hand you have a lower repair and regenerative uh, stimulus okay. from the light. So, so properly formatted light is going to cause reactive oxidative stress. It's going to cause free radicals in around the mitochondria, but it's also going to tell the mitochondria to clean them up. And light that has too much blue in it causes more oxidative stress, and it doesn't have the cleanup signal in it. It doesn't have the cleanup signal, right, correct. Uh, and okay. there is also a difference. Um, it makes definitely a difference where the react where the... Um, the free radicals are generated and where where do they occur inside the cell if they occur beneath a cell membrane they will cause damage if they occur around the mitochondria this is what the cell expects uh, okay. because it's a constant load from the mitochondrial activity so there are pathways of detoxifying the mitochondrially um, Generated, re generated reactive oxygen species, but uh, the cell is not prepared for um, high amounts of, of um, arbitrarily uh, occurring uh, free radicals somewhere in the cell, probably in the nucleus, probably in the DNA, probably in membranes okay. and so on. So this makes quite a difference. Well, I, I would like to say that I'm going to go out and replace all of the LED lights in my house, except I don't have any LED lights in my house except for the colored ones I use specifically <laughs> because it's all halogen and incandescent because I, I can feel the difference. And I, I'm really grateful that you took the time to explain what you just did about how we're causing free radicals in the wrong part of the cell. I think uh, Bulletproof listeners will really appreciate this. And because this has been a really technical conversation, we'll either draw some pictures or reach out to you and, and get a write-up of this. So in the show notes on Bulletproof Radio, we can have some clear recommendations. But there's one question that I've asked every guest on Bulletproof Radio. And given all the stuff you know about lights, but everything else that you've, you've learned in your life, uh, we didn't even get to talk about the fact that you once invented an electrical stimulation machine for the brain. But just given all the stuff you know, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, I want to perform better at everything I do. Like I want to be a better human being with more capacity everywhere. What are the three most important things I should know? What would your three recommendations be? Oh, this is, this is quite a question, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, oh, keeping the balance between our roots uh, and our ideas uh, bringing past and future in a way 
together uh, is not so easy nowadays. Mm, but if I would have to uh, to take uh, just three three um, appliances with me um, on an on an island, so to say, I would take. Mm -hmm. Um, a good light source. I would take um, good filters to make colored light and I would take some musical instrument um, because uh, I think this is pretty much important that we are grounded uh, by our senses and not uh, always focus on our um, our eyes, but but make uh, some experiences which ground us using music, using vibration. So a tuning fork, for example, and uh, a light therapy unit would... This is something I always travel with. Um, wow. And it's sometimes not so easy with, with the security if you have a tuning yeah. fork like, <laughs> like that. <laughs> mm. And what what I um, what I would recommend in order to to live a, a better and a healthier life is to seek out for direct proof. Um, in a way that um, I I stopped believing what what is advertised um, many many years ago, and I started to to go for. Uh, a direct proof for example I would like to uh, we talked about flicker um, we should tell um, the um, those who listen to bulletproof radio for example that they can use their smartphones uh, in order to find out if they have if they would buy a bad LED or um, a better one Use the camera of the smartphone, and if you see the stripes uh, walking through through the uh, picture, then you can be sure that you have flickering light in front of you. And you shouldn't go for that. You should go for the non-flickering light. Make your own experience. Learn how to discriminate the spectra. For example, when you're wearing glasses and you turn your head a little bit to the light source, you can see the bluish uh, twin to the center of the light source. Sharpen your senses. That's uh, that's amazing advice. I, I was going to add in there if you have the slow motion uh, capability on the camera on your smartphone, like the iPhone six, if you film something in slow motion, you can see the flicker yeah. like actually happening with low quality lights, which is even more indicative than the the line you see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This this is uh, what many people carry around with them. So. They have already, they have the tools and they just have to learn how to use them and then they can mm, do some pretty good uh, in order to improve uh, the quality of, of environmental factors on one hand and reduce the unconscious stress which is, uh, yeah, which has the tendency to overwhelm us. Excellent. Alexander, thank you for being on Bulletproof Radio. I, I really appreciate your line of research. It's very unusual, and I think it's it's very important. You've talked about effects, but you've also talked about why the effects happen. And where could people learn more about your research? Is there a, a website or a webpage where I could send them? 
Um, yeah, there is. I have a web page, the photonblog.de. There are some uh, en entries, um, some posts in English. Um, I have a Vimeo Pro account where you can find uh, several uh, um, presentations in English. Okay. For example, um, there is a recent post from September from the European Forum in Alpbach where I talked about uh, light and there are a lot of uh, graphic uh, pictures and slides in the presentation so they are animated and there they could uh, get more information and I have uh, a spectrochrome uh, web page spectrochrome.com or spectrochrome.de uh, I would be glad to provide the uh, correct uh, web addresses and the spectrochrome page is in English as well Okay, I will uh, put all of those in the show notes so when people go to Bulletproof Exec and they look at the podcast notes for this we'll link all of those things so people can find them Great and uh, thanks one more time for being on Bulletproof Radio. Thank you very much, Dave, for having me. If you like today's episode of Bulletproof Radio, uh, there's something you could do. You could go to Bulletproof.com and you could check out the Zen Tech filter for your iPhone. I've been using this for the past oh, year or so, and you can get one that sticks on your laptop. You can get one that sticks on your phone. It doesn't solve the problems we talked about here. It's a Band-Aid that reduces a little bit of the harm. If you want to go deeper, you can look at replacing some of the lights in your house and getting rid of especially the low-quality LED lights. So we'll put together a list of recommendations for you on the Bulletproof website. And in the meantime, thanks so much for listening. This is something that affects the health of billions of people, and no one really talks about this except Alexander and a few other people like that. So thanks again, Alexander. Have a great day. Same to you, Dave. Thank you. I'm a huge fan of crowdfunding because it allows entrepreneurs to turn game-changing ideas into reality faster than ever before. Just like the company behind MVMT, that's Movement Watches, they started with the idea that quality-crafted watches shouldn't have to cost hundreds of dollars, and they crowdfunded a kick-ass watch that starts at $95. You may not be able to see the watch unless you see it on YouTube, but it's already getting rave reviews from places like GQ, Playboy, and Ask Men, and it looks like it should cost a lot more than it actually does. So if you're looking for a watch that's casual enough to wear every day, and also formal enough to wear with a suit, don't spend $500 at a department store. Check out mvmtwatches.com slash bulletproof, and they'll hook you up with 15% off your entire purchase. That's mvmtwatches.com slash bulletproof. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. 
this podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.